Welcome back to Return to Oz Minute. We're analyzing the 1985 film Return to Oz. One terrifying doctor's office minute at a time. Well, that doesn't work. There's multiples of those. <laughs> I'm Tierney Steele. And I'm Mike Bloom. Oh, boy. You're not letting go of that, are you? So, uh, for our listeners who remember last week, Dorothy, who apparently is the adopted daughter of Mrs. Blue, if you follow the script, has is being left at Dr. Worley's office. She's going to experience the electrical marvel or marvelous machine or whatever quackery he's been pushing. Uh, today we're talking about Minute 13, which starts with Aunt Em making her goodbyes, and it ends with Dorothy being left alone in her room at the doctor's office. At second two, we find out that, indeed, Aunt Em's name is Mrs. Blue. Dr. Worley, uh, jauntily holding his pipe, says she's in good hands, Mrs. Blue, just as the script foretold from 7484. Uh, that line made it in exactly. She's in good hands, Mrs. Blue. I just don't understand how I could watch this movie so many times and literally never notice that. And then when you brought up here, I was like, all right. I was like, okay, that's something that's in the script, but it didn't make it into the movie. La la la. Moving on with my life. Nope. Nope. She's uh, Mrs. Blue. M. Emily Emerald Blue. I mean, Emerald Blue is a pretty cool name, as we established. This contradicts the MGM movie, which definitely implies that, not implies, says Henry's last name is Gale. Um, I believe it's when uh, Mrs. Gulch is complaining up to him. I'm pretty sure she says Mr. Gale. Um, I'd have to go back and watch it, though, to be sure. But this is a contradiction, uh, but as we mentioned before, this is a sequel to the movie, but it's not really a sequel to the movie, so I guess this isn't the worst inconsistency. Um, I am more bothered by the fact that now Dorothy's all concerned about Toto. Well, so, I mean, she she did try to send him home, uh, but she she wanted Toto to come. I don't know. She said, "Go home," pretty forcefully. If your if your aunt, who may have been, I don't know, uh, Garnet's least favorite sister, dumped you with her, uh, was saying, "Hey, I'm driving this carriage. You shut your dog up." You'd be like, hey, go home. Okay, so... Thanks to the magic of the internet, I've summoned the script of The Wizard of Oz. Ah, okay. 
Mrs. Gulch rides forward to the front of Gail's home. Uh, Gail's is, uh, stops and gets off her bicycle as Uncle Henry comes forward. Mrs. Gulch says, Mr. Gail! Uncle Henry says, Howdy, Mrs. Gulch, or Miss Gulch. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, there we go. So his name is Gail, so why is she Mrs. Blue? I, this is going to be uh, I mean, more investigation. We assume that Aunt M and Uncle Henry are married to each other. Do oh. we know that? Or is that a false... Uh, narrative. Yeah. Could he be Henry Gale? Uncle of Dorothy Gale. Roommate of Mrs. Blue. <laughs> now, not to, uh, not to stop your theories in mid-tracks, uh, but going back to the script for The Wizard of Oz, uh, Hickory. We all know Hickory. Hickory says, all right, oh. Mrs. Gale, but someday they're going to erect a statue to me in this town and... That's right. And then Hunk also says, gosh, Mrs. Gale, uh, while talking to Aunt Em. So they, are, they at least believe her last name is Gale, though maybe that was one of the reasons that the hands <laughs> were fired. They found out the truth. Well, or they refused to call her Mrs. Blue. They just didn't go along with this uh, naming naming convention. Maybe Blue is her maiden name, and she didn't change it. And it's a point. But then it. But if someone calls her Mrs. Blue, she's like, ah, close enough. Shouldn't it be Mrs. Blue then? It should be Ms. Um. But at least they're calling her Blue. Maybe, maybe uh, that's as far as she's going here. Oh boy. Most of the rest of the talk is about the pigsty and the pigs, and don't make that pig make a coward out of you. Have some crawlers. <laughs> oh, now I'm thinking about Auntie M and comparing her to Aunt M, and they're they're both good characters. Um. She actually is listed as Aunt M in the script. Although Dorothy says Auntie M, one, two, three, four, five times, six times. Well, and when she, when she calls for her and then the Wicked Witch of the West appears and is making fun of her, it's Auntie M. So I think that's what I think of. Yes. Um, welcome to Wizard of Oz Minute. <laughs> um, not quite yet. We're still, we're still in Kansas. We're still trying to get her returned to us. Um, so the nurse, the woman we still don't know, brings, oh, I had the note first. Um, so Aunt M is out of the picture. She'll return to the movie, but currently out of the picture. And this nurse woman and black, scary, terrifying person gets rid of Dorothy's lunch pail 
saying she won't be needing that. But here's my problem. Even if she doesn't need her lunch, lunch pail thing, she's going home tomorrow. And the Gills are a poor family. You can't just throw away one of their few possessions. Well, you know, how much, uh, I mean, it's, it's probably a sandwich or actually, no, we, we know there's no wheat. Uh, <laughs> not a sandwich. It's just a bucket full of eggs that have been washed. They're going bad pretty fast. Maybe they're just sending them down to the kitchens and, you know, the house elves or whoever work at the hospital food stop will turn those eggs into something delicious. Excellent meals here. The way she says that, I mean, I could understand if she wanted to get rid of the food in it, which... As I mentioned last minute, I kind of have trouble following the timeline of, but okay, fine, whatever. But the way she just puts it on that, so, like, someone's just wheeling a table pass, a gurney pass, and she just puts it down and is like, you won't be needing that anymore. And I don't think we ever see it again. So she just gets rid of it. Yeah, the that's... Yeah, we, uh, we do not see this lunch pail again. That's weird. This woman's a monster. <laughs> She's fitting right into our crazy thing so far. Um, but did you notice who's wheeling that table nearby? Well, that would be Palms uh... Mar. Yeah, he was uh, one of the bounty hunters aboard, aboard the Star Destroyer. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He was an actor. Or he still is an actor, in fact. Uh, let's see. His name, P-O-N-S-M-A-A-R. So hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Did you find anywhere that, like, confirms that? Or are we just going with that's what it looks like it says? I believe that is the, that okay. is the plan. I like that plan. I'm down with that plan. Um, I'm kind of in love with his bio from IMDb, which really quickly, it's not a long quote. Uh, he became a fixture on the local art scene as a graphic designer and performance artist and as a musician playing in a couple of art punk bands. At one of his solo performances of Natural Enemies, he was seen by Oscar winning sound designer editor Walter Murch and cast as a lead wheeler in Walter's first directing effort, Return to Oz, 1985. Pons acted in the film as well as serving as the performance coordinator, starting what was to become a pattern of working on both sides of the camera. And it's great when you look at these things. Um, I think his most prominent other acting credit really actually doesn't mean that much to me, but he was Roy Hess on Dinosaurs, which I know a lot of people know that show better than I do. I just vaguely, I remember its existence. I know I've seen episodes, but I didn't remember him from that. But he's just such a cool guy, and I want to find some of this music. Yeah, uh, Obviously, excellent, uh, you know, dinosaur having the last name Hess. Great gas station pun there. Oh, wow. Yep. Oh, 
But I'd, I'd like to talk about his other role in dinosaur uh, filmography. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> he was part of 1995's Theodore Rex. You may remember the Whoopi Goldberg-led production. Uh, it's about a buddy. It's a buddy cop movie starring Whoopi and a dinosaur. I do remember this existence. I don't think I saw this. We were a Nick's family, so I was mostly watching Eddie at that point. But yes, I do remember. All right, please tell me more. <laughs> so. According to, to Wikipedia, the plot of the movie is that in an alternate futuristic society where humans and anthropomorphic dinosaurs coexist, a tough police detective named Katie Coltrane, played uh, ably by Whoopi Goldberg, is paired with a Tyrannosaurus named Theodore Rex. Theodore Rex. To try to find the killer of dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals, leading them to a ruthless billionaire bent on killing off mankind by creating a new ice age. Uh, he did not play, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Theodore Rex was played by George Newbern, not uh, not Ponsmar. Just, uh, he he was the in-suit performer for, uh, for, for Theo. Uh, anyway, this, we could get into a lot of a lot of the, the, the production was a disaster. Whoopi went to court trying to get out of uh, get out of her role, um, and it, this is 1995. So they record. You know, they're probably working on this 94 or 93. Uh, you know, Whoopi is coming off 1993 or 1992 Sister Act, 1993 Sister Act Two, 94 had Lion King. She was in Star Trek Generations, had been on Next Generation. Uh, you know, Whoopi, this this was um, just a couple years after Ghost. I mean, this is her career. This is the height of her powers, and she's in this absolutely ridiculous movie. I I I seen it. I own this oh, movie. Oh really? Oh yeah. It, it is. It was one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. So of of course I had to track it down. Boy, I can. For anyone who has read the book. This has absolutely nothing to do with the biography of Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> when you first said Theodore Rex, that's where my mind went. I'm so glad to know that I wasn't completely hallucinating that. Um, I can picture the poster for this, or the tape cover, or whatever it was that I would have seen. But... Yeah, I definitely missed this one. I I guess I wasn't cool or edgy enough to have seen it. I I I only saw it within the last few years. Uh, I it I had come across it earlier, and it it just was like okay, well this is something. This is something to track down. You could have said this is something and ended that sentence, and I think we all would have understood. Exactly how you felt. Yeah, he does a lot of, yeah, performance coordinator, I guess is the right words for it. He's a physical, uh, he's going to fit the pattern that many people we've already seen in Kansas Phil, where he has his role here in Kansas, and he will have a role in Oz. Uh, his role in Oz is 
um, shall we say, a little bit more iconic than, uh, you know, Dr.'s lackey that he is here. Um, although I do love he's the lead wheeler in Oz, and we already have him with the squeaky wheels here. Or do they squeak in this minute? They must. I feel like they always squeak when he's oh, like, yeah. okay, good. Yeah, they, they squeak. I should have rewatched it like right before we started just to doubly make sure. But I, I, th this film had some problems in the making of it, but that sort of attention to detail was not lacking. Of course, every time you see Pons Mar on screen, you have the squeaky wheel. Um, He's just so great in this. I'm, I'm sure I'll end up talking more about him in minutes where he actually gets to do more. I mean, this is just a passing in the background thing for the nurse to get rid of this lunch pail. But I was just so excited. I was just so excited that we see, you know, the, the nurse and the wheeler. Let's face it, that's the easiest thing to call him together so quickly yeah the other uh the other neat thing about Ponsmar is actually not about Ponsmar <laughs> but uh well the first part is he also played the noid uh from the Domino's commercials oh yeah avoid the noid he was both the body model and the voice uh excuse me oh but he, re he reminds me of another character who or another actor who portrayed a semi-iconic uh commercial character and then starred in the disney film doug jones who uh, you may remember as billy butcherson in hocus pocus billy! Uh, he's abe sapien in the hellboy movies and he was also the moon piano player in mac tonight the commercials okay. for mcdonald's the character's name is also Mac tonight. Okay. Um, you know how you were just saying you've tracked down Theodore Rex because you were an adult and were like, I have to like figure out what this is. This sounds amazingly bad. Um, yes. I had Mac tonight toys and had no idea what they were from until very recently. It was one of the podcast groups. I don't know if it was the Minute Makers or Effectively Wild, but in one of the listener groups, someone posted pictures of Mac Tonight, and it was like, what, what, what is this? How do you know about this toy? Like, what, what's going on? And then I found, you know, all the commercials and stuff are online, so it could be like, oh my god. Um, I, it's one of those things, like, I didn't even realize this was an almost 30-year-old mystery until I was confronted with it in front of my eyes. So it's, if, if you're a kid listening to our podcast, keep growing up. It, it gets pretty awesome <laughs> once you, like, start being able to track these things down and figure out what was going on when you were a kid. But yeah, I had little, like, not action figures, but little, like, plastic toys. They probably were Happy Meal toys, I assume. What else would they have been? Yeah, they, they must have been... Uh, been some yeah, my toys. sister and I were like, this is the, such a cool thing. He's like a moon, but he's a cool guy. And then just moved on and never questioned where that came from at all. 
Yeah, he was in uh, apparently several ads. Study Break, Clock Tower, Space, 1987. I think that's the one I know where he's like on a cloud playing the piano. But that could also be Cityscape or Carnival, maybe. Or Study Break. I guess it could be Study Break. There are so many options to choose from. (laughs) Thank goodness for all of those people who did not cut out commercials when they were recording things. Because it's just a treasure trove on YouTube. And now everything's available for streaming or on Blu-ray. And I have all these tapes of of shows that I had recorded over over time. I'm never going to... I mean, I don't even have a VCR. But if I did, I wouldn't watch the show. But I, I, now I'm just disappointed I didn't save all those commercials. Yeah, we have a bunch of tapes that I've held on to. Purely because I know... Actually, my copy of The Wizard of Oz was a like middle of the night set the VCR one and it has some glorious 1989 winter commercials. Um just super cheese ball. Um yeah, we had it's really hard too because I remember being so proud of myself when I got good at recording around commercials. Because I record, let's face it, I mean, if the FBI had ever raided our house, I was going to jail. I recorded so much stuff. And I remember being really proud of when I got good at, when it goes to commercial break, stopping it, and then being able to predict, yeah, this is the last commercial, press record now, so that you didn't, like, cut off when it went back to the TV show. I got yeah, really, there was a, yeah, you could I got feel really it. good at that on the shows you watched all the time. You, it, yes, exactly. You could just feel it. Like... In your gut, you knew, like, it's time. Um, and now you get that feeling fast-forwarding commercials, thanks to the magic of, like, DVRs these days. But I was so proud of that, and you're right. I I wish I still had those, like, all the late 90s things. Oh, man, do you ever get really weirded out seeing, like, cigarette commercials? Uh, I don't oh, recall any. I definitely, maybe it's the Wizard of Oz ones. I could swear there was, that actually, to be fair, I noticed that more looking at old magazines, but not like that old. Yeah. You figure like, oh, I'm looking at this Life magazine from the 60s. Of course there's going to be cigarette ads. And then I'm looking at one from uh, like a People magazine from 2003. And there were like four. <laughs> um... Yeah, for a, for a project at work, we, we use U.S. News and World Report. Uh, and we look, we have, so we have them going back through the 90s. And yeah, they're full of like cigarette ads for, in a magazine aimed at high school students. And it's bizarre. Oh, okay. Doug Jones was also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer in Hush. He played a gentleman. He was in, uh, the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, Hollywood Follies, TV movie as slapstick actor. So I'm not sure if that was one of the episodes of Young Indiana Jones. I guess it was a movie. He was in Batman Returns as the Thin Clown. And he's been he's been in dozens of things. He was in the Weird Al show. He's a contortionist, so that's yeah. his thing. Uh, oh, he's, he, he was the Silver Surfer. So chances are you've uh, you've come across Doug Jones in some way, shape, or form. 
Uh, these are the coolest guys. I just love looking at... I mean, literally just looking over their credits, but also just thinking about their jobs, like the contortion and everything. It's so weird. It almost gives me that creep. Like, I'm, like, hunching my shoulders. Like, it's almost creepy, but it's it's in a cool way, um, which is how I've always felt about Pons Mar in this movie. Like, it, it is creepy. I get why a lot of people were scared of him, but it's also, it's, like, just weird enough that it's cool. And, uh, like I said, if anyone has any links or clips of his band playing, first of all, I love that, like, Walter Murch just saw him playing in a band and was like, yeah, we gotta do this. Oh, wait. Although, wait. One of his solo performances of Natural Emmys, was that an acting thing? I've been reading that as, because it comes right after them talking about his Music. But now... Sorry. The line is, at one of his solo performances of Natural Enemies, he was seen by Oscar-winning sound designer, editor Walter Murch. Uh, yeah. I would have to do some much more advanced searching on Google to figure out exactly what that is. Um, but even if it isn't that Walter Murch was like drinking at a bar, listening to the band and thought, Hey, that guy's cool. Um, I do. I am very curious about art slash punk bands that Pons Mar played in. This sounds like it could be extremely entertaining. And he just went on to do so many cool things, like, like performing, but also the design aspect of it. I just think it's really fascinating. And I mean, let's face it, if you're into like slightly out there designs, Return to Oz is the movie for you because it's going to get really great. I mean, we've already talked about how well Kansas is done and that everything kind of blends together. The color scheme all makes sense. The, you know, ornate Victorian doctors' rooms and costumes are all cool. Uh, but it is nothing compared to when we get to Oz. It's, <laughs> it gets very weird and strange and just yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad you had it with just fantastic. In a good way. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I think that's definitely all my notes for this minute and a few more than I realized. Do you have anything else on Doug Jones to tell us? <laughs> Doug Jones is in the upcoming Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see if we can get any Star Trek connections in our actual movie that we're talking about and analyzing one minute at a time. I feel like that's a good challenge for you. It probably won't take very long. But if our listeners want to come back tomorrow, they can find out then if you've come up with one. If they can't wait that long, where can they find us? They can find us at returntoozminute.com or return to or at ozminute on Twitter, Facebook, not groups.facebook.com. That was wrong from a couple episodes ago. 
uh, facebook.com slash groups slash OzMinute. Or just use that handy little search function. You'll find us. You can join our listener society, The Flying Sofa. Come on over and join us there. We have a great space on Facebook to talk to each other, compare stories, come up with alternate histories for the Blues, the Gales, Pons Mar, whoever you're interested in there. And I also want to give a shout out to the website moviesbyminutes.com, which is where you can find a list of all the currently releasing or completed Movies by Minutes podcasts, because if you like this, there are probably many other movies that are getting this treatment that you would enjoy the podcasts of. Uh, we've mentioned a lot. We do a lot of uh, shout outs when we have little crossover minutes. And there is a Star Trek minute, so we, we'll have to work on that. We'll find a way. <laughs> well, thematically, like us, they started with the second volume, Replicon. Oh, I didn't even think of that. That's a good point. Yeah, they skipped the, the first one, went straight to the sequel. The better one. <laughs> the, the pinnacle of Star Trek movies and the pinnacle of Oz movies. So, you can't go there wrong. Go. Oh, I like it. Well, I think we should wrap up on that lovely, heartwarming note. <laughs> oh. We are. Piog! Piog! I think we actually got it that time.